0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, church. Well, if you would, please open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 57. We're going to be in verses 14 through 21 this morning, it's uh, page 617. In your pew Bible, if you'd like to uh, turn there and follow along, if uh, follow along with us as well, uh, we again we encourage you guys to be able to um, hold and read God's Word for yourself as we as we walk through what I found to be a really really encouraging uh, portion of Scripture this week. So, according to an article in Reuters in two thousand and nine, an eighty-one year old man from Australia set out to get a morning newspaper and ended up driving 400 miles after he accidentally turned onto a major highway. Eric Stewart went for went for 9 hours before he stopped and asked for directions. Yeah. Stewart eventually approached a policeman at a gas station and admitted that he did not know where he was. The officer called Stewart's wife and got him home safely. And after reuniting with his family, Stewart said he took one wrong turn and just kept going. It's like that, like that portion in, in that movie, Forrest Gump. He scored the touchdown on the wrong side of the field and just kept running. This is what this guy did for nine hours, like three tanks of gas later. And friends, while we can chuckle about that, um, but if we're honest, many of us can relate to this story. If we were to take an inventory of our spiritual lives, many of us are in a very different place than than where we want. And it might have started with one wrong turn, one poor choice, or one sinful desire that we gave into. But now we find ourselves in a place that we never intended to be. For many of us, sin has taken us farther than we've ever wanted to go kept us longer than we'd like to stay, and cost us much more than we were ever willing to pay. But we're here now. And my focus this morning isn't how we wander away from God. Most of us normally have that under control. We know how to do that. My focus this morning in, in, in my sermon is how do we find our way back home? When you wake up one day and you realize this is not where I ever wanted to be, and I've gone so far from my Heavenly Father, what what encouragement do we have? What comfort does God give to those people that have wandered far, far away from home? And church, this morning, Isaiah 57, 14 through 21, is a message of hope for those who have lost our way. So I want to read it together. And then, and then I just want to break down uh, break down what this portion has for us has for us this morning. So I'm gonna read Isaiah 57, 14 through 21. I encourage you just to follow along as as I read this text over you this morning. Isaiah 57, beginning at verse 14, says, And it shall be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus it says the one who is high and lifted up who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry, but he kept he but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And his waters toss up mire and dirt, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Father, this portion, Lord, is so rich, God, and so deep with theological truths, God, about who you are. And I pray, Lord, just in our time this morning, God, that we would catch a glimpse of your hearts for your people who have walked away from home. God, that you would encourage us through this text, that you would speak compassion and mercy for those who who know you as their Lord and Savior, but are not living like it at the moment. God, I pray, Lord, that you would use this text. God, and use, Father, your spirit to bring them back home today. God, Lord, just watch over our time as we we dive into and walk through this precious passage of Scripture this morning. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So church, found within these eight verses are four realities that you and I can cling to when we find ourselves far from God. And I know with an audience of this size, that there are people here this morning who who are described here. Yeah, you're here, and yeah, you you might be faking it or whatever it may be, but you know deep down in your hearts you are not where you need to be. This portion is for you this morning. And the first thing that we see here from this text, we see the promise of restoration. See, as God begins to speak to those who have wandered far away from him, he first shows us the end result. So before he tells us why we can be, be restored or, or even what we need to do to be restored, the first thing that you and I need to know is that restoration is possible. Verse 14 says again, And it shall be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. God, in his goodness, uses an analogy here, a picture that you and I are very, very fa- familiar with. Roadways. Listen, we live in NEPA. And I don't care if you're a white collar or a blue collar, what age you are, what political persuasion you, you, you may be. Listen, we live in the pothole capital of the world. Like, they're just rows that I don't even drive on. Um, I, saw a, I saw a meme last week said, you know, if I have to get my car inspected every year to make sure that it's roadworthy, who's inspecting the roadways to make sure that they're carworthy? Right? Like, there's parts of 81 that are terrible, or parts of Scranton, whatever it may be, it's like, I cannot drive my car on this road. I drive a 2004 Ford Escape. One pothole, and it's dead. We're all gone, kind of thing. And so I'm just crossing my fingers every single time. So Isaiah uses something that, that we, all are, we all live with each and every day, but the truth is, is that when you and I walk away from God, sin creates obstacles and barriers between us and God's blessings. Listen, our lives become riddled with impassable potholes, down trees, and a never-ending series of roundabouts like it's no wonder that when we're living in sin,'t we, we, we feel like we don't see his, that we don't feel His presence. We don't see His power, our prayers seem to hit the ceiling, and nothing seems to be able to connect you and God again. That's what sin does. But the first reality that you and I need to cling to is that it doesn't have to be this way, that restoration is possible. See the first thing that you and I need to know is that God promises to restore those who return to him. See, I love how verse 14 begins. It says, and it shall be said. That there there can be a day when this verse is spoken over your life. That there can be a day when those potholes and those barriers that sin puts up between you and God's blessing, there can be a day where God says, fill those potholes in. Take down those down trees. Re- remove those things that were, that were obstructed, you and God's blessing. So make sure that the way back to God is open and secure. That could be spoken about your life this morning, what, no matter where you are at today. No so matter how far you've walked away from the Lord, how long, that, how long you've lived in sin, God wants you to know that he can still work. That God's blessing can pour over you again. And that you can be restored to what you had before you wandered far from home. That could be said about your life today. So the first thing that God wants us to know, before we get into the how-tos and the whys and everything else, is us put it all on the table, restoration is possible. And God promises to restore those who come back to him. But now that we know that it's possible, how is it possible? What exactly do we need to know about God? And in Isaiah 15 through 16, we see the God of restoration. Verses 15 and 16 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. says, I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrary and lowly spirit." To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. See, we see two things about God here that makes restoration possible from these verses. And in verse 15, we see where God dwells. In verse 15, we see that God dwells in two places. Verse 15 calls us back to that image we saw in Isaiah chapter 6. It seems so many, so many weeks ago now that we walked through that portion. But Isaiah chapter 6 gives us vision of God where he's high and lifted up, where he's being worshipped, where he's majestic and sovereign. There's angels all around him lifting up his name. That's where God dwells. God is righteous and sinless and perfect. If you use a big word, God is transcendent. He is above all of creation. And he deserves to be there. But he doesn't only dwell on the throne room of heaven, being worshipped by millions upon millions of angels. He says that he dwells with those who are broken by sin. He dwells with those who have a lowly and contrite heart. And when we are broken by sin, when we recognize what we've done and how far we've come away from God, God promises to be right there with us. I want to re- read you a couple psalms. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirits. He is present. He is near. Psalm 51, verse 17 says, that The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So while you and I may feel that God is so far away as we're living in sin, he says the moment that we're broken by sin, he is right there with us. He's right there with us to encourage us, to enable us, to pick us back up, and to to begin the process of walking back to God. He says, I'm there. We don't don't have time to walk through Psalm 51 uh, this morning, but but David wrote this psalm. After committing adultery with Bathsheba and, and, and killing, committing murder, murdering, murdering her husband Uriah. And after he committed those things, he was broken. The word, the word contrite literally means to be crushed. For those of you who have like those like nice pepper grinders and stuff like that, they're whole peppers and you grind it to, make it to make it smaller. That's what this word means. Contrite means to be to be grounded up to be crushed. there is, You have nothing, no leg to stand on anymore. And when you and I are broken by our sin, when we acknowledge what we've done, not only to God but against other people, God promises to show up. God dwells with those who are broken and humbled by their sin. So while our sins cause us to turn his face from us, he promises to be present when we turn back to him in that very moment. So not only does this portion talk about where God dwells, that he dwells with the brokenhearted, but it also talks about how God deals with us. In verse 16 it says, For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. See here God promises that he will not be angry with us forever over our sin. The, the word contend literally means to accuse someone in court. It's bringing up why this person should be punished. see and when we sin, when we walk away from God, God has every right to withhold his blessing and to and to show and to point out and to point out our sin and, and why we've walked away from God and where we've walked away from God. It's like a lawyer in a courtroom saying, this is why this person should be punished. But he says, but I'm not going to dwell that way forever because he knows us. We are but dust, and we, we cannot handle God's wrath and anger upon us all the time. God isn't like the people that we know that hold a grudge or file an offense in this big filing cabinet, just waiting to bring it out. We all know those people, right? Spouses do not look at each other. Kids do not look at your parents. But listen, we we all have those people in our lives, right? That when we offend them, they will just hold a grudge forever and ever and ever. Just waiting for that right moment to bring it back up and put it back in our face. But God says, I'm not like that. I will not contend forever. I will not be angry forever. And we can praise God for that. Because, man, I can't tell you how often I've done the same thing over and over and over again. And I found forgiveness and mercy at the cross of Jesus when I have confessed and turned back from my sin. So he says, I will not contend forever. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, we we read it this morning. It says, but for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. And weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So we learn here that God's presence and mercy are with the brokenhearted. That God promises that, yes, you may have ruined your life, and your sinful actions, your sinful actions. Not someone else's that made you sin. No, the sins that you committed, that you have ruined your life and brought yourself far, far away from God. But he says, the moment that you turn, I'm with you. And I'm not I'm not there just to scold you. God God isn't there to to you know with with his arms crossed, just waiting for you to come back. I don't, I don't, I don't have kids that that are driving yet, but I'm sure there's going to be times where they drive and they're going to be out past curfew, and I'm just going to be waiting up for them, waiting for them to come through that door so I can let them have it. God isn't like that. God is there waiting with open arms saying, child, I'm glad that you're home. God's presence is there. And God's mercy is there as well. It doesn't matter how long you've been away. It doesn't matter what you've done. The moment you confess your sins is the moment that everything changes. God's absence is replaced by his presence, and God's anger is replaced by his mercy. This is what we can expect when we turn from our sin. So we've seen the promise of restoration, the God of restoration. I want to show you a story of restoration. God, God here here in, in, in Isaiah 57 says, yeah, you're probably hearing this so far, and you're like, but listen, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've been away. God says, let me give you a personal story of how this all works out. Verses 17 through 19 gives us a real-life example of God bringing, bringing a wandering one home. Verse seventeen says, "Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry." So, his. This is a person. He's talking about a. We don't have a name, but we know that he's talking about a person here, a follower of God, a, a follower of Jesus, who had gained something unethically, unethically, and we don't know what it is. And and I think we don't know what it is. It's broad here to to give us to to push the point. That it's not about this one specific sin. This can be applied to all of us in any situation. He said, Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. And I struck him. And I hid my face and was angry. But he kept on, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. See, Isaiah tells us here of a story of a man who gained wealth, prosperity, or power through unethical means. And God saw the sin and was rightfully angry over it. God is righteous and perfect and holy. And when we, sin, when we sin, he has all the rights in the world to be angry at that sin. And in response, God did two things. You see it here. First, he says that I struck him. Those of you guys with young kids know that you go through this phase, right, where you have to teach them what things are safe to touch and what things are not safe to touch. I Always have a hot stove or whatever it may be. And so a lot of times, I know this is 2023, this may be a little radical, but when our kids were that age, when they were going toward the stove, we would take their hand and and we'd slap their fingers to give them an instant response that this is harmful for you. I'd rather slap their hands than have them hold on to a hot coil or a burning gas stove. Again, my kids are older. Don't call, don't call child, child and youth. Whatever. That was a long time ago. I think it was past the age of whatever. But listen, but we do that so to teach them a lesson that, hey, you can't go here. This is going to be harmful for you. And God does that often with us. So he says, I struck him. I did something. I caused him pain to teach them a lesson that this is not good for you. It's not child abuse. It's what a loving father does. But not only does God discipline us, not only does he strike us, but he says, but I hid my face from him. Oftentimes what God will do when we sin is that he'll just hide his presence. He'll hide his face. He'll stop intervening on our behalf. He withdraws his favor. And what it does, it allows us to experience the full extent and weight of our sin. See Romans chapter 1 and 2, God talks about this often as, 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 as people, as humanity began turning away from him and, and, and turning to other sinful things. And he said, I just let them go where their hearts already were going. And I, and I gave them over to their sin." It's not child abuse. It's what a loving father does. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I'm not sure if I use this story. I may have. I'm going to do it again. You guys probably forgot anyway. But there was a young boy who had a toy boat in a pond. And he was playing with it, but sooner or later that toy boat got too far out, and he couldn't reach it anymore. And a guy on the other side of that pond saw what was going on, and he gathered, and he gathered up a, a bunch of rocks, and this man began throwing rocks at the toy boat. And at first people are watching.' He's like, "What is this guy doing? This guy is going to break this kid's heart right in front of him. He's going to see his toy boat get destroyed by these rocks. But that man on the other side wasn't trying to destroy the boats. Those rocks were thrown near that boat, and the ripples were causing it to come back to the shore into the arms of of, of that young boy. And church, so often when God disciplines you and I for our sin, God isn't doing it to destroy us. God is doing it to bring us back to himself. That God is doing it so that you and I would see and understand what we are doing with our lives. And he's trying to get our attention to bring us back home. And Because God loves us, he disciplines when we walk away and withdraws his presence. It's because God loves us that he will allow things to happen in our lives that we see the consequences of our sin. He will allow our friendships to be broken down. He will allow... um, Marriages to be, to be torn apart because, one, because one, one spouse decides to continue to live, to, to live in sin. And he says, fine, you want it this way, I want you to feel all of it. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. How many people have sat in my office and we've talked to through consequences of sin. And they said, man, if I would have just listened to what what God was calling me to do, my life would be in a completely different place. But God loves us enough not just to let us go. But he will do everything in his power to get us back. But I love where verse 18 comes into play. All right, we see... This guy is backslidden. This guy continued to go in his sinful ways, continued to go down that path, to drive away from God. Verse 18 says, I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comforts to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. Notice here that God doesn't excuse sin. That first phrase in verse 18, I've seen his sin. I've seen his ways. God just doesn't say, all right, it's been long enough. I'm going to wipe your slate clean. He says, no, I, I know what you did. I watched you every day as you continued to walk away from me. I haven't forgotten about you. But even in the midst of that sin, God offers restoration and hope. Friend, you may be here this morning thinking, I don't know that God knows all that I've done. Or you may be thinking, I've done too much and I've gone too far. What if I've backslidden too much? What about the the years I've spent living in sin? Is it worth coming back? or, or, or may, maybe you're, you're here today and a loved one is the one who has walked away from God and living in sin and you you may be thinking is it worth continuing to pray? And listen I've been there. I prayed for for someone in my family for over 20 years and is literally, Just now, uh, beginning to turn back home. So the answer to all those questions, is it worth me coming back? Will God receive me back? Is it worth continuing to pray? The answer to every single one of those questions is yes. Yes. that God is able and willing to keep his word, the promise of verse 18, for those who return to him. Church, I just want to remind you that the the depths of your sin is not greater than God's power to forgive. And he calls you back home. And this, this short couple verses here just reminds us that you are never too far to be out of God's reach. That you've never gone too far. That you've never sinned enough where God just says, I'm done. You cannot come back. If God is calling your heart today to come back to Him, He's still working. And until you take your last breath, you're never too far to come back home. And those of us who are praying for loved ones, We need to remember this as well. On days when you just want to give up, on days when it's like it's over, God could never work in their hearts, they've gone too far in the opposite direction, Isaiah is calling us here, he says, listen, you are never too far gone. You're never out of God's reach. So I would encourage you, don't listen to others who who would tell you to give up. Don't listen to Satan's lies that say that God could never receive you back. Instead, listen to God's voice here in verse 18. He can restore you. He can speak a new reality over your life. Those people that have mourned your, that have, that have mourned your walking away and your life of sin. It says in verse, in verse, in verse 19. That God will create the fruit of their lips. Someone who mourned over and wept over your sin will say, Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. We see, we see the same verse in Ephesians chapter two, verse 19, where it says that Jesus comes. And he came and, and, and Jesus, Jesus came and ministered and died on the cross, preaching peace to those far and those near. To those near to the heart of God and those who seem far away, so far out of reach. The good news of Jesus is that there is hope for everyone today. That peace has come through the, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he can, he can say those things over your situation as well. So I want to just finish up with a few more verses. As Isaiah finishes up here, and we've seen the promise of restoration, the God of restoration, the uh, story or an example of restoration. The last thing we see here is that the absence of restoration. Verses 20 and 21 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Friends, here's a warning to God's people who do not turn back to Him. It says that your life will be like a boat stuck in the middle of stormy waters. There will be no security, there will be no peace. You're caught in the raging sea. And if you are a child of God this morning, living in sin, this is what you have to look forward to if you do not turn back to Him this morning. You won't feel God's presence. God will continue to chase after you with all that He has, trying to get your attention. And listen, you you may think, well, I'm living in sin today and I'm doing all right. But don't, don't take God's patience with you, God's mercy with you, as a stamp of approval that God is okay with what you're doing. He says, You will have no peace. And listen, I've talked to people. I've been one of these people that have walked far from God. And in the meantime, when when I've been living my own way, God used everything in his arsenal to to bring me back to himself. Don't be stubborn like me. Don't wait until God ruins your life to bring you back home. That's what absence looks like. So the reality that you and I need to understand simply is that restoration only comes to those who turn back home. God's promises, everything that we've read in verses 14 through 19 only occurs for those people who turn from their sin and turn back to God. Don't read this and think, well, I can just continue living how I'm living and everything is going to be fine. God loves you too much to just let you go. God will continue to chase after you until he finally decides to take you home. So believer, this morning if you are living in sin, know that restoration is possible. That is good news. Know that the moment that you say enough is enough and turn back to God, his presence and mercy will be right there. But until that day, God's love will drive him to discipline you in order to bring you back to himself. So don't let sin hold you back for what God has for your life. Don't let the pleasures of this world steal the joy from walking with your Heavenly Father. I would encourage you to get things right today. Spend time in prayer this morning. For those people that you've hurt, go to and ask forgiveness. Begin taking steps of repentance. And God promises that he's going to be right there with you. To encourage you. To lift you up to walk beside you as you start walking back the years of sin and the choices that you've made. And for those of you who have loved ones and friends who say that they know Jesus and are one of his children but are not living like it today, Isaiah 57 encourages us to keep praying to keep hoping and continue to fight for the fact that God is able to restore even the most wayward person. And if you're here today as well, and there's never been a time in your life when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, know that there is nothing standing in the way from you from from receiving Jesus this morning. Verse 14 talks about this idea of clearing the pathway, clearing the road back to God. And friend, the the, the reality is that our sin, that our sin keeps us from a relationship with God this morning, from experiencing his presence and, and his blessing. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. God's son came down to this earth, lived a perfect life, and died the death that you and I deserved on the cross. And in that moment when he hung on the cross, God took all of our sin and placed it upon his, his son Jesus so that we don't have to pay for the things that we've done against a righteous and holy God. And church, the cross, what the cross does is that it clears the pathway between us and God. And the only thing standing in the way from an unbeliever to someone who who knows the Lord and is a child of his is our own own stubbornness and selfishness and lack of faith in what Jesus has already done on our behalf. But it doesn't have to be that way. God calls us people today God may be calling you today to simply believe in what Jesus has done and it's as simple as admitting that you're a sinner admitting that you have messed up and you have rebelled and disobeyed against God and there is no way that you can get to God on your own this morning and there isn't so it's admitting that you're a sinner. It's believing that Jesus is, is the Son of God, that he died in our place, that he rose again three days later. And that he promises eternal life to everyone who believes in him. That's what scripture promises over and over again. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you promise to do in the future. It's about what Jesus has already done for you. So it's admitting that you're a sinner. It's believing that you're that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And it is turning from our sin, saying, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to run run toward Jesus. And God promises, if you do that this morning, that you can have a relationship with him. And listen, I would love, if that's you this morning, and you feel that tug within your hearts, I would love to have a conversation with you afterwards. I'll, I'll be up front for a bit. I'd love to just, um, have that conversation with you to show you from God's word how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and that you are one of God's children Other, otherwise you can you can come up here as well and grab some information packets here in the front of the podium um, they contain a gospel of John which which the gospel is is a book from the Bible written so that people can know that they have eternal life and also just a book that answers some of the biggest questions about 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 faith and eternity and salvation. Or listen, if you came with someone today, if someone invited you, talk to them about it. They would love to be able to show you from God's word what it, how you can know for sure today that you, can, that you have a relationship with God. But the invitation is the same as it was last week from Isaiah 57, 55. God has done all the work. The table is set. We just have to come. So, I, as I invite the prayer team and the praise team forward, let me just read one final verse over you today and pray over you before we close with, with one more song. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, whether you are coming to Jesus for the very first time, or whether you're just coming back home after a life of sin, the invitation is still the same. We come back to God. We find grace and mercy at the throne of Jesus because of what he has already done for us. Let's stand, let me pray over you, and then we're going to close with one more song. So Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, God, for this day, God, for this text. And God, I just pray now that, that that you would work in people's hearts, for those who are far from you this morning, I pray, Lord, that they would come home, that they would recognize that their sin, their sinful choices, God, have ruined their lives. And I pray, God, that they would humble themselves and acknowledge their sin and come back to you, God, to find the grace and mercy, God, that you promise. For those, Lord, who have, who have struggled with praying for loved ones for years, God, encourage their hearts today. Restoration is still possible. You can still work. And God, for those who maybe they're hearing the good news of the gospel for the very first time, may you bring them to yourself today. May they not leave here without knowing for sure that they have a personal relationship with you, God. Thank you, Lord, that all of this, Lord, is possible because of the good news of the gospel and the work of your son Jesus on the cross. God, we are unworthy, God, of your love but we are so thankful for it. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.